All right, we are continuing. <coughs> Excuse me. We're continuing looking at uh, our theories of what the Bible could be uh, if it's if it's not what it said it was. Kind of like uh, what we looked at: if, if Christ is not who He said He was, who is He? Um, and so, really, a similar outline, not exactly the same, but. Um, we, we talked for two weeks about, you know, is it just all this developed over time, this, this theory, this, uh, this thing that this person added to it and this person added to it. Maybe they lost something and now we have the Bible, you know. Uh, so we, we went through that and saw that early on uh, the Bible is what it was and the major doctrines of the Bible were important from the very beginning. The, the, the things that you would think would be made up that, you know, as you get further on in things, that's when the big things get made up. Uh, but the resurrection uh, story, which is very, really, I mean, from a natural perspective, that's unbelievable. It's very difficult for us to wrap our heads around, and yet that was original from the very beginning. So, uh, so it's not a development. Uh, we want to look at our next one today. Is it a deception? Was it a lie? If they, uh, if they had this from very early on, well, is it a lie? Did they just make it up? Um, so the theories, and there are <clears throat> a bunch of theories as to why they would make it up. Um, what were the conditions of the apostles after the death of Jesus, immediately after the death of Jesus? They were confused. They uh, were terrified. Okay. Terrified. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. They were terrified of, of the authorities. Um, that's important, really, in, in disproving this. But, but even holding that aside, that their, their, their whole world is turned upside down. And so um, what was their impression of what Jesus was supposed to be doing? He was going to be king of the earthly world. Okay. And so, so the theory is that Everything's been turned upside down. They've left their jobs. They've left their um, everything for this belief. And it's all gone up in smoke as far as they're concerned in, in, this, in these three days. That's what they're wrestling with. Peter goes back to fishing. I mean, there's all these different things. That, so the idea is that they kind of got back together. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And... Um, you know, going back to, well, we thought we proved that already, but, but if this is all made up, then we have to throw all those statements out. If this is all made up, Jesus never claimed those things, whatever. Jesus had always wanted to be a political figure, and, and they were so attached to that that he dies, Rome kills him because he wants to be a Caesar or whatever, and so they go and construct this idea and build all of this around Jesus. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of the one of the theories. Uh, but they changed the, the the main idea is that they changed the story after Jesus dies, or or they construct this thing. Um, and and so the the motives to this are the key. It's just like a court case, right? Uh, in a court case, you need three things. What are the if if you have a murder case, what are the three things you need? Uh, opportunity, right? So you need a murder weapon, 
And you can get by without the weapon if you've got motive and opportunity. Uh, and so, <clears throat> largely, a lot of times, a defense will attack the motive. Um, my client has no motive to do this. And if he's got no motive, uh, you've got to have really hard evidence elsewhere. And so we're going to attack the motive. <clears throat> and we're going to look a little bit closer at this anti-Roman motive that they would have had. Well, the theory, just to flesh this out a little bit further, because is the idea that they would, they would view themselves as like the Maccabeans, these lower echelon people who rise up and, and uh, actually the Maccabeans weren't lower level. They were, um, they were pretty elite people. They were pretty wealthy. Uh, but, but they view themselves as these revolutionary people and they're going to you know, conquer Rome and, and start a revolution. And so what they would do is they, they use Jesus as a legend, as some, some person to crystallize support and get everybody all excited about this thing. And, and, and Jesus is not really important as a person other than getting support for this anti-Roman revolution that they want to lead. And that's the, the theory specifically. Uh, there's a, a number of problems with this, three problems. And first is in the Bible itself. And again, we're not using the Bible to prove the Bible. We're just using the Bible as it is because we, have to, we necessarily have to look at the Bible because this is the argument. They're saying, well, the Bible is constructed by these people. Well, let's look at the Bible and see if it matches what you are saying it is. Well, what, is the, what, what kind of material is there in the Bible on this subject? What kind of material do we read in the New Testament specifically concerning Rome? All right. We have obedience to Roman authorities. If I was leading a rebellion against, you know, guy, and the eldership, and I'm going to undermine the eldership's authority, probably wouldn't be in my best interest to tell you to obey the eldership. That would probably not accomplish what I am trying to do, right? And yet, the, the New Testament is full of information about obeying, specifically, Roman authorities. What else is in the New Testament along similar lines? What? Okay. We're going uh, to take a different order. Uh, praying for them, paying taxes. Now, remember, this is a story about Jesus. And they include in this a story about Jesus telling people to pay taxes. Well, that goes to Rome. So, so your legendary figure that you're trying to use to motivate people to rebel against Rome, you include stories about him saying you should pay taxes. Listen, if you're trying to get a rebellion going, what's the quickest way? Focus on the taxes. Throw the tea in the harbor, right? That's where we get the revolution from. We always, anybody can, anybody can coalesce around the idea of we pay too much taxes. 
Right? That, that's the first place we go, is to the wallet. And, and, and their, their theories, their statements, their, all this stuff encourages people to pay taxes. That's, that's not what I would do. Uh, honor. Honor the king. Not even just obey grudgingly, but honor. When we think of the people that they're being asked to honor, they're being asked to honor some horrible people. Go and look at the lives of the Caesars and who they're being told. Not just to, okay, you have to do what they say and be good Christians. Honor them. Didn't say honor the position. Well, I honored the presidency. No, he didn't say honor the office of kingship. He said honor the king. Make necessary applications. That's not going to foment a, a revolution. Prayer. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Prayer for the governing authorities. And that, that does again. That's not. If I want to get someone really ramped up against somebody, I'm probably not going to tell them to think of this person in prayer. That's a quick way. If you have ever really had animosity towards somebody, you want to. Just kind of snuff that out. Pray for them. It does an incredible job of doing that. And so, so this would have just snuffed out any revolution right there. Prayer for authorities. Paul specifically, but not only Paul. The, the, the Christian church defended the right of the Romans to use force. In numerous places. He said that they do not bear the sword in vain. And he said they are the Lord's servant to execute wrath on the unrighteous. Well, if I was going to fight against somebody in somebody's name and they said that they were this person's servant, it seems like that's kind of a conflict of what I'm trying to get done. You're saying they're on the same side? And why are we fighting against them? If they're the Lord's servant, that's not logical. And the last one, <clears throat> the crucifixion story focuses on who? It focuses on the Jews. It doesn't focus... I mean, there's, there's stuff about the Romans, but most of the statements about Roman involvement are sympathetic. It's sympathetic to a centurion who was on the on the uh, crucifixion site. It is sympathetic, even somewhat, to Pilate, who seemed to, indicating that he was trying to find a way to to get justice. If, I, if I'm trying to get people all ramped up against Rome, I'm not going to be presenting all the sympathetic material on their side. And I, and who am I presenting all the information about the bribery and the the uh, the immoral trials and the uh, perjury and uh, the the trial being held at a time when it's not supposed to be held at and just all the things that go on 
is all the Jewish side of things. If I'm trying to attract Jews to a rebellion, I want to minimize all the faults of that side. See, we're righteous. We're Jews. We're righteous. And I'm putting all the fault on the Jewish people. That's not a way to get people to your side. Right? So, uh, so the, the Bible itself denies this possible... It's just... It doesn't make any sense. There is not a single revolutionary statement in your New Testament. There's not a single verse that you can possibly use to go, we should fight against our authorities. Not a single one. You can search it over. You'll have to do some mental gymnastics to find it. That's not the only thing that proves this wrong. To me, that's pretty conclusive. The material in the New Testament itself. But the Jewish response to the message proves. What was the Jewish response to the Apostles' message? What? How did the Jews respond to the apostles in, in the weeks and months, even before the Bible was written? How did they respond to this? Put them in jail. Now, who hates Rome the most? The Jewish leaders hated Rome. This is why the, the crucifixion was allowed, because Pilate was trying to placate the Jewish leaders so they wouldn't rebel again. This is not, I mean, this is like their history. Right? They do this again and again and again. And sometimes Pilate brought it on himself for, you know, sacrificing pig's blood on the, on the, on the altar in the temple. Not a good idea if you want a, a good friendly relationship. But after that, and in fact, we read a statement. Uh, we read a statement uh, in, in one of the Gospels about Herod and Pilate, and um, we see that Herod sends over Jesus. When he sends him over, there's a he sends him over wearing a, a white robe. Uh, white robes were the robes that Jewish that was their color of choice. Uh, Romans wore scarlet or purple, right? It was a different color, but the uh, you see like the white mink coats kind of thing. That, that was kind of like the, uh, the the Jewish color. And it says that on that on that day, Pilate and Herod became friends. They were enemies until he sent them a nice gift. So they hated each other. So if anybody, if the apostles were teaching, let's go fight these people, how would their message have been received? Logically. They would have welcomed it. Hey, here's these revolutionary people that want to take over Rome. You want to take over Rome? Let's be friends. We're all on the same side. Let's kill Rome. They seem to have a lot of popular support. We can use the popular support. Maybe make money on the side. If this is all made up, there's no reason to be going to throw them in prison. The fact that they did that tells us that the two sides did not have the same agenda, whatever that agenda was. So, 
They were rejected. And we want to detail that rejection coming up. Um, <clears throat> but one more thing first. That is the Christian response to the message. Whatever the message was, what is the Christian response? If someone, if you don't know what is being taught, you know, let's see, you're looking at it from an outside perspective, you can tell a lot of what I'm being taught by the way I act. And say, well, these people must have been taught this thing based on the way they act. For example, I'll give you an illustration. I'll use this when we talk about baptism. We read very little of Philip's sermon to the eunuch. It just says, starting at this place, he taught Jesus to him. That's all we know about what Philip taught the eunuch on, on this road. Right? Out going down to Gaza. And yet, the eunuch says what? All right, so what do we know that he was taught about? Right, we don't know, it never says that, but based on his behavior, we can find out what he was taught about. And it was impressed upon him, we can find out the importance of it was impressed upon him. So we can do the same thing by looking here with the Christian response from history about what they were taught about Rome. Even if we didn't know what the Bible said about Rome. In 66 AD, Jerusalem, as they did several times, rebelled against Rome. They started getting, feeling their... We look at it from history and go, what are you fighting against the strongest empire in the, in the history of the world for? You know, you're just a little dinky city. But they thought, we're God's people. God will do this. He's done so many miracles. And it's, it, I suppose it's right to think that way. They were wrong in that God was not on their side at this point. But that's the way it had always been. God can do amazing things. This city, you know, it's not fallen too many times. And so they were going to defeat Rome. Well, Rome laid a siege against it. And there are Josephus writes of this event quite extensively. It's gross, the stuff that happened in there. A lot like the same thing happened under Nebuchadnezzar when he laid siege to Jerusalem. That's the only way to defeat Jerusalem back then with its walls and its hills is you just surround it and pretty soon the water supply runs out and the food supply runs out and then it's it's over inside the walls and you let them defeat each other and it's gross it is disgusting what goes on in that city Josephus not a Christian writes that there were no Christians killed in this event it finally came down in 70 AD why were no Christians killed in this? They weren't a part of the revolution. They saw this thing come and they're like, we don't want any part of it. They took off. They didn't want to be a part of a revolution. That was never their cause. They gave up this thing 40 years earlier. 
30 years earlier, whatever, 40. They were done with the anti-Rome thing. That was not a Christian cause. Why? Because for almost a, a full, more than a full generation, they've been taught a different message. They've been taught to pray for their authorities. They've been taught to obey. They've been taught all these things for 40 years and more. So, this wasn't their cause. And so we can, from their own behavior, we can see, listen, this is not what the apostles taught. So if it's a lie, this is not the lie that was being told. We would have to look for another lie. Um, a rebellious message produces rebellion. Right? But it didn't. So, uh, let me just skip to the next one. So if it's not for rebellion, what would be the reason to teach what personal motives do you have to lie? Self-preservation? That did a bad job of preserving themselves. <laughs> personal gain. If I'm going to lie, yes. But, I mean, that is a reason why you would lie. That actually works against this theory and it, it proves something wrong about this is that Self-preservation shows us why they wouldn't lie. Because if, if you'll tell a lie to save your skin, you'll also tell a truth to save your skin. Right? Saving your skin gets really important. But money, power, these are the things, whatever, we went through this when we talked about Christ. Why would Christ lie? If he thought he could get all those things. Um, that's the reason. And did the apostles have any of it? No. They didn't. They had quite the opposite. There is zero reason for them to lie. Or as we said with Christ, they're very bad liars. And yet, whatever they said remains with us. So they couldn't be bad liars if they were liars. There had to be really good ones. So they convinced the world of it. But they didn't get anything for it. And so in that sense, I say they're bad liars. Um, so I want to look at the personal results of the message, and that is that they, first of all, never became wealthy or powerful, and they went through a series of persecutions. I want to detail these. Who were they first persecuted by? <clears throat> Jews. Okay, this is going to be a trick question. So who were they secondly persecuted by? <laughs> Okay, in between the Romans, there's another persecution that they face. We kind of summarize Jews and Romans, but there's, in between these two, there are, there's a different persecution that they go through, and that is what we would call local persecutions. We see them in Philippi. We see them in Ephesus. And sometimes it is Roman people that do it, but mostly it's from the, the local populace has a thing. We see it in Athens, or we see it here or there, where... These people are disrupting our local commerce. You know, the, the sellers of pagan books or the people who do... Like, those people who feel... What do you think would happen if we as a church were successful in doing something against commerce? Would that 
whatever that commerce that we would feel was immoral, they would come down heavy, especially if they are big lobbyists or whatever. We would feel that immediately. And then Rome organizes under Nero and officially starts persecuting, and he becomes the first emperor to actually have a series of, uh, of as some people call it, pogroms or whatever, these dedicated uh, 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 persecution against Christianity. Uh, so there's these three different types of persecutions that they have. And you even see that in, um, in the book of Revelation, even though the official persecutions have started, it's not universal. You see in, in, the, in the book of Revelation, Philadelphia hadn't really had any persecution, or this church escaped it or was going to escape the brunt of it. And it was, so it was like in different areas um, would be more heavily concentrated. Um, all but one of the apostles, as far as we know, died a natural, or one died a natural death, put it that way. I want to go through the list, if you don't mind. We're going to actually pull in more people than just the original 12 apostles, uh, because we're going to look at some of the other people who would be there to know Jesus and to have talked about Jesus. Stephen, we know, was stoned in Jerusalem. James, we know from the Bible, was beheaded by Herod. Matthew, whatever happened to Matthew? He was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. And these are based on tradition. Some of them were a little bit harder to track down. Um, there, there might be Some of these have competing traditions about where and how. Mark, dragged to death by horses in Alexandria. Luke was hung on an olive tree in Greece. James, the son of Alphaeus, was thrown off of the temple. Andrew was crucified in Patras, Greece. Philip was crucified in Hierapolis, Egypt. Bartholomew was scourged to death. Jude was axed to death in Armenia. Simon the Zealot, who traveled uh, with, with Jude, he was sawn in two in Armenia. Matthias, the guy who replaced Judas Iscariot, was stoned and then beheaded just for good measure uh, in Jerusalem. Barnabas, not an apostle, but traveled with Paul, was probably one of the early disciples. He was stoned in Thessalonica. Thomas was impaled on a spear in India. Paul was beheaded in Rome. And John escaped being boiled in oil. They boiled him in oil, but not fatally. They exiled him to Patmos. And he later... Uh, after Diocletian died, was released from uh, his exile and then probably died a natural death in Ephesus. This is what happened to the men who lied for personal gain. Yeah, don't think so. I don't think so. Here's the problem with conspiracies. How does a 
we live in a world that loves conspiracies. And that actually is pretty recent. That's, I mean, there's always been people who like conspiracies, but um, that actually started. Does anybody know the event that touched off like America's love with conspiracies? Nope. JFK. A bungled. Uh, it, a, a bungled investigation. Um, really, the truth is pretty simple. There wasn't a third shooter or a fifth shooter or however many shooters they were. It was just a really bad investigation. And that makes people suspect. You know. So, uh, and ever since then, oh no, the moon landing, this, that, the other, uh, 9-11... Hey, this, there's a, some problems with any conspiracy theory. What's the big, big, big problem with conspiracies? Too many witnesses. There's too many people. There's just too many people. It takes how many people to explode a conspiracy? One. One person on the inside tells... Somebody, and it's over. The Jews demonstrated the willingness to pay for favorable testimony, and no one took it. So here's these people who want personal gain. We know that the Jews gave personal gain for favorable testimony, and they're not getting any favorable testimony. You have to have some strong resistance to temptation. Well, the only way you're going to do that is if you believe the story you're telling. That none of the men in this position not only refuse to change their testimony for any reason, but under the duress that we just read through. And those are all people in a position to know whether what they said was true or not. That's why I don't I, I go through all the lists of Christians forever, because there's a lot of people that die for things that are incorrect, if they believe it to be true. But these are not just any people who believe it to be true. These are people who have the ability to know whether what they believe is true or not is true or not. There's a guy by the name of J. Warner Wallace. This is Jay Warner Wallace. Maybe you've seen him, maybe you've not. He's been on Dateline a number of times. He's a he solves cold cases. He's a Christian. And he's used his experience and background to talk about he's talked about cold case Christianity. And uh, he's like we when when you get into investigations and a lot of the reasons there's cold cases is because investigators have something they're trying they no longer are looking at the evidence they're looking at a solution they're wanting to come to they think this person is guilty and they're looking for the evidence that proves this person guilty and someone with no emotional connection years later often can come in sit down and just let the information take them where it goes, and that's what he does. They don't like him. Dateline doesn't like him because he's a Christian. And they bring him in, or have brought him in numerous times because he's better at it. 
he gives a recipe. Five-point recipe for conspiracies. He says, uh, in dealing with cold cases, a lot of times one of the reasons it's a cold case is because there's a conspiracy at the beginning that is successful and it's hard to pull apart from, from law enforcement, from the side of law enforcement. They can't pull the conspiracy apart. And he's like, there's five things that these successful conspiracies have. And he's like, none of them match the Bible. If, if this was a conspiracy, none of them match. None of these five things. First of all, a small circle of conspirators. When he says that, he means like two to five. A small group so that you can contain your lies pretty good. Well, how many people are there involved? Well, we know there's 12 apostles. There's women besides that. Probably a circle of 10 or 12 women. We know that in Jerusalem, there's 120 people gathered together that knew Jesus. And there's men on the road to Emmaus. And there's, this, there's just the 120 people. You cannot contain a lie with 120 people. One of those 120 is going to know and say something. We call it rolling over. You just roll over on enough people, right? Put a little pressure, and one of them's going to flip and expose the whole thing. So, <clears throat> so the first one is a small circle of conspirators. The second thing is a thorough and immediate coordination, practicing your testimony. Make sure we've got all our lies. This is the order things happened in. Da, 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 da. These are the things. Practice it. Rehearse it. Know it as a lie so that you can say it as a truth. Well, where is our Bible written? Where are these people? I mean, they're written scattered. scattered at different time periods. Some of the people are dead. I mean, here's this guy in India, and here's this guy we just read where they all died at. They don't have cell phones. They don't have emails. Shoot me an email. What did you, what did you say? And, and they're making this cohesive story. And they didn't write it that day. They didn't sit down, okay, you write your gospel, Mark. Okay, this is what I'm going to put in mind. So, um, it would have been very difficult for them to establish a cohesive narrative. The first accounts, written accounts, of the death and resurrection were written 20 years later, at the very minimum. Some of the first witnesses were already dead by then. Kind of hard to go back and get your story shored up with dead people. And so divergent stories would have already started, if it was all just word of mouth, divergent stories would have already been in existence by this point. And, and not able to be combined. So, the third thing... <coughs> Mostly close relatives. Why is it important that, the, that uh, a conspiracy would have close relatives? That's right. That's right. You need something 
I'm, I'm less likely to roll over on a family member than I would be just some, some guy that we're in it for a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Save my own skin. I might think about it if it means rescuing a relative. Not always. Not always. There's people that like turn in their brother. That was Timothy McVeigh's brother turned him in. Right? It's like, I think that's my brother. <laughs> he says some weird stuff. Dead. Right? So, so it, it doesn't always work, but if it's going to work, that's almost always it. Is a couple of people in a scam together who are related closely. Well, if we look at this, yes, there's relatives. James and John, brothers. Peter and Andrew, brothers. Mary, the mother of Jesus, yep, related. So there's some relations in there, but the vast majority of them are not related. And beyond that, most of them is... These people are, are completely unconnected. We have politically diff- divergent Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealot, which is a political person. They're different economic backgrounds. Doesn't make sense. A short time span. Another, what I mean by a short time span is that the lie has to be successful within a short time span. If you got a lie rehearsed, it's not going to. You don't keep coming back at it 20, 30, 40 years later. You've got this short time span where you need to tell the lie and get the money, get the thing, whatever, the power. That's, you just need to get it. Boom. The more it goes and the more it goes, the less likely it is to work. John was still writing and preaching 70 years later. No. That does not fit the, the prototype for a successful conspiracy. And little or no pressure. I mean, at the beginning of it, specifically, these conspiracies have to operate with, you know, not under much pressure, especially at the beginning, until they can get established. But we find that the apostles faced immediate pressure. I mean, if if I start doing something and someone hammers me right away. I'm like, okay, that was stupid. Right? We, we kind of do that. Do that with, you see that with kids. They kind of do something. They're up to something. And you find out immediately, okay, that was a stupid idea. I'll back off of that one. Right? It's not until you really... The, the, the sticking with it is when you're really connected to it. And then you'll, you'll keep going. But if you catch it in the butt, that's... That's the crucial moment. And that pressure is applied early, early on, and yet they didn't crack. So it's not a conspiracy. So that is, I think, satisfactory. Any, any thoughts or questions as we close? Okay, I'm going to be gone for next week. I'll be the, uh, here the week after. I think uh, he's, the guy's got the class next week. I don't know what he's talking about. So... Uh, we got camps coming up, so you're dismissed. <laughs>